Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and thank you for joining me, everybody, on this episode of the show about the show. This is episode 43. As always, I am the host and creator of this podcast. My name is Devlin Clark. I am recording this on Wednesday, November 20th, or 21st, rather, 2018. It is the day before Thanksgiving, and I want to wish all of you a happy Rusev Day to start with. And I would also like to uh, take a couple minutes here before we bring on our guest, and we do have a great guest today. I would like to take a couple minutes and go over a few things with you guys as to what I'm thankful for and the year that I've had and where this podcast will be going forward. So as some of you or most of you or none of you may know, Um, I've lost both of my parents this year. Um, My dad died unexpectedly in January, and my mom died of cancer in May. Um, It has been been an incredibly difficult and tough year for me personally to, um, to deal with that, to be able to find the energy and the strength to sometimes even get up on a day-to-day basis, let alone go to work and take care of things, dealing with them. Um, I'm currently in the, hopefully near the end of um, dealing with the probate for my mom's estate. And 2018, I can say it has been the most trying year of my entire life and it has been very very difficult for me to um, find joy in things and to find to find time to be able to do this podcast I absolutely love being able to podcast. It can be tough for me to find people who are willing to come on and coordinate because I have a full-time job and I work night shifts, so I work, you know, most nights when when my guests are available. So at times that can be rather difficult and it can be even sometimes impossible. I've got a couple guests lined up for the future. Um, We're going to wait until after the holiday weekend to get them, so it'll probably be sometime next week. So we'll have a couple new episodes then, a couple of great, great guests. We're going to have a um, gentleman on talking about the Negro Leagues, and I'm going to have one of the most highly respected reporters in the entire country who's been on the beat for about 30 years or so um, up in Pittsburgh doing his thing he's going to come on and we're going to talk uh we're going to talk about the pirates we're going to talk about baseball we're going to talk the hall of fame and kind of the off season the winter meetings that kind of thing so it should be a fun should be a fun episode but the one thing that i really wanted to um, stress to people is just how unbelievably thankful i am to people who have reached out and said, you know, hey, I'm praying for you. Um, I know you're going through a tough time, this and that and the other. That means so much to me, especially from a community of baseball fans where I don't really know 
a whole lot of people, you know, there I, I follow a lot of people on Twitter and I have about five five hundred and fifty followers on Twitter. I've met probably a handful of them, um, because they're spread out throughout the country and I don't do a ton of traveling, so um, but I did want to. I do want to say from the bottom of my heart, especially the day before Thanksgiving, that everybody that does a listen to this podcast, either religiously or just stumbled upon it by accident or just thought it might be cool to listen to, I cannot tell you how much that means to me. I know, I know this show will never you know, be as popular as other podcasts out there, but I do really, really want to thank everybody for their support this year. And going forward, I am so thankful for the support I have received um, going forward from, or I have, that I have received, and I looked, and going forward, I'm going to try to do this podcast a lot more frequently, so without now now that all the sappy stuff is over let's talk some baseball and let's have some fun i have minor league pitcher tim dillard with me he has been around baseball his entire life his dad also played in the majors he joins me today we're going to talk about his career the ups and downs of being in the minors and what it's like to be a very popular social meet on social media, specifically Twitter. Let's bring Tim on now. Tim, how you doing? Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Oh, thanks for having me on. Awesome. Hey, absolutely. 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 So let's talk a little bit about uh, your college career. You were drafted by the Milwaukee Brewers in the 15th round. You were number 448 overall in the 2001 draft, but you didn't sign. You decided to um, play community college ball, and then 2002, yep. you were drafted again in the 34th round, and you signed in 2003. Can you talk about that decision to, you know, because a lot of a lot of baseball players, their whole their whole dream in life is to get drafted and to take that step to go to the major leagues sure. or to get into minor league ball. Can you talk about the decision not to sign? What went into that, and then deciding to sign a year later? or two years later? Yeah, so I was in high school my senior year, and, uh, yeah, I got got drafted by the Brewers, and they drafted me as a catcher and a hitter. Um, but the ironic thing was when I first met the Brewer scout, he was with a Royal scout. It was after a high school game, and they asked if I would take batting practice after the game. So I'm hitting batting practice after this game, after I pretty much had the best game of my life. I went, like, I don't know, four for four with like two home runs, a double, <laughs> uh, a single. I threw some guys out catching. Um, sure. I came in the last inning to pitch and struck out the side. So I did pretty much, like I said, I mean, as good as good as I've ever done. And uh, sure. they asked if I could take batting practice. Took about, I don't know, my dad was there, and I've been hitting off of him my entire life. So they moved us back, uh, all the way back to the backstop, and my dad was throwing about from where home plate was, and I was just hitting rockets and probably the best I'd ever hit in my life. But then after about 30 swings, my left shoulder subluxed, which means it just kind of went out of place and came back. And that was Ooh. the beginning of basically only being a pitcher <laughs> because uh, <laughs> after, you know, they went ahead and drafted me, but they drafted a catcher that couldn't, you know, right-handed hitting catcher that couldn't, couldn't hit. And uh, anyway, I ended up having surgery after my first year of college. So, um, anyway, by the time my sophomore year came around, they still had the rights to me because they drafted me twice. And um, when it came down to, like, what they actually wanted, they wanted me to pitch rather than catch. And, you know, that's 
you know, 16 years ago. So I guess that was the right decision. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about playing in the minors. So you started your professional career in 2003 at the rookie level with the Arizona League Brewers and the Hawaii, and the Helena yep. Brewers. You played 15 games. And then in 2004, you were primarily a reliever for the Beloit Snappers. What do you remember yep. about those teams? <laughs> well, uh, I grew up in the South. And um, after playing in Helena and then playing in um, Beloit, I lost my accent. <laughs> or any any action I thought I had, you know, people were like, "Hey, man," you know, I went back home and uh, guys were like, "Hey, man, where'd you, where'd you play this summer?" And I was like, "Oh yeah, I was in Beloit, Wisconsin." And they were like, "You was in Canada?" <laughs> so yeah, that's what I remember the most is just um, I had traveled a lot with my dad and things like that, but being you know living living kind of off by myself for for five months, you know, with a bunch of guys you just met um, and surviving in that way getting your feet wet. Like that was, that was probably the hardest part of the whole thing, but, but just kind of trying to figure out what kind of player I was. Um, I had started a few games. I had closed some games and uh, I, I just didn't know where I fit in. And um, it wasn't until 2005 where I, I kind of felt like I had a foundation uh, moving forward. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you, you talk about, you know, you, t- you talked about, 2005 kind of moving forward kind of getting your feet under you you were with you played for the class a advanced brevard county manatees so you were a manatee in 2005 mm-hmm. but you had a really good yep. season you were you made 28 starts you were 12 and 10 with an era of two 2.48 you made the florida state florida state league postseason all-star team what was that like what's what's that honor like when you you know, especially like you said, you changed positions. You were, you know, they wanted you to be a hitter, and then you you kind of switched over to being a pitcher, and then to make the All Star game. Granted, in the minor leagues, but still an All Star game. What was that like? Yeah, well, I mean, I tell some of these young guys that end up becoming All Stars, whether it's Double A or Triple A, and I'm like, man, those things don't grow on trees. You know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> right? an honor because, you know, if it was a if it was like a cup, you know, a couple of weeks thing or a month thing, but you know, the thing is you don't really get to see a lot of times with the minor leagues. I mean, maybe you get a hint of it in the big leagues, but these guys, you know, we train all year round. You know, we train in the off season. I, I just worked out today, uh, this morning, getting ready for Turkey day tomorrow. So, <laughs> but you know, these guys train for, you know, so long and then to go through spring training that can be six weeks and then go through an entire you know season in the minor leagues, it's five months. And so at the end of the year, it's like, so what if you weren't an all-star mid, you know, middle of the year, the end of the year, that's, that just means that you, you know, you went through the whole grind and it all, you know, you get recognized for it. And I think a lot of times in the minor leagues, that's really all you're looking for is just to get recognized a little bit, just to, just someone at the top to go, listen, we saw what you did and we appreciate that. Because it goes a long way. Absolutely. And, and not only was 2005 a great season for you, your 2005 season, you were 12 and 10, like I said, with a 248 ERA, 185 innings, five complete games, two shutouts, and 128 strikeouts. But 2006, um, with Double A Huntsville, you you made 25 starts, four relief appearances, but in 29 games you were 10 and 7 with a 3-2 ERA, and you made the Southern League midseason All Star that season. What was that like as well? Is it, was it kind of different than your first one? Yeah, I mean it just you know you're facing a little bit 
you're, you know, the, the lower levels you go as you work your way up, you know, you may face, uh, I don't know, maybe three hitters in a lineup that actually know what they're doing. And then you reach double A and you're going to have, I mean, you're going to have at least five guys in the lineup that can handle a bat, have an approach against you and can do some damage. And, um, you know, obviously the higher up you go, triple A, I mean, it's almost the entire lineup. You know, you're going to face seven guys that can do damage. And then obviously the big leagues, but in double A, you start facing pretty much entirely, you know, just prospects. Um, in the playoffs that year, we were playing the Montgomery Biscuits and they were the, I guess they were the double Rays at the time. It was before they changed over to just the Rays, but they, uh, they just brought up Evan Longoria and nobody knew who he was. Okay. You know, everybody knew he was yep. a prospect and, uh, so anyway, I was up there throwing. I'd had I'd been good all year, and I was in the playoffs, and I'm trying to help the team win. And this guy comes up there, and I'm like, I'm gonna throw a sinker that you know he's gonna swing over the top of, and it's probably gonna hit him in the shin. I was like, because my sinker was really good, so I was you know probably very pompous in that area, and I threw it. And you can see him nowadays, even in the big leagues. It's like he replaces his front foot, and he gets his barrel down there. Anyway, he scorched one down the line, and he did something right then that nobody had done all year against me. So it just goes to show you, you don't really know who you're facing. Like maybe nowadays with all the, I don't know, you got advanced, whatever, but not usually in the minor leagues, you got some film, but back then it just, you know, you kind of had to go off what you saw. And I thought I could get down and in on this guy and no shots. <laughs> so if I ever face him again, which maybe I have, I don't know, but I'm not, I'm going to stay away from down there, but that's the kind of the difference. Uh, so doing, doing well in double a that year, that was a, that, Joey Votto was in that league that year. Um, there's a lot of good players, so yeah, I was I was privileged to be a part of it. Now, in 2007, you reached the AAA level with the AAA Nashville Sounds, and you struggled a little bit. You were eight and four with a 4.7 ERA in 16 starts and over 34 games. Mm-hmm. But the important thing is, in 2008, May 23rd, 2008, something special happened. What happened on May 23rd, 2008? Oh yeah, I got the call. I got the call to the big leagues. We were uh, yeah. we were about to get on a bus and drive to Memphis, and uh, they called me that morning. So don't get on the bus. And I was like, Oh, why not? And they're like, Oh, you're going to the big leagues. And I was like, Oh, that's better. I'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit better, yeah. <laughs> now, what was so you get that call? You said, you know, that's a that's a little bit better. What goes through your mind at that point? Do you have to talk? Do you? Go back into the stadium, find the team secretary. Do you call home, tell your folks? What do you kind of take us through that for people that have never experienced it? Yeah, I mean, you know, that particular time it was. Uh, not I'm not going to say it wasn't special, but I would I was added to the 40 man that last the off season before that, and I was throwing 96 and I had a one ERA in AAA, so pretty much everything added up to just a matter of time before I got called up. So it, it wasn't like I was expecting it, but after I got the call, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, in the baseball equation, you put all those things together. Sure. And it's a safe bet that, you know, you get called up. So uh, my first thing was like, I got to tell my wife and it was really early in the morning. It was probably like six in the morning and uh, she was asleep. So I woke her up I was like, Hey, I got called to the big league. And she was just kind of, kind of like, okay, you know, went back to bed. <laughs> I don't think she was listening to me. I don't think she was fully awake. Uh, but, yeah, I just drove up to the stadium, got my bags, and then we both went to the airport. We jumped on a plane, flew to uh, – we went to D.C., Washington, D.C. They had just got done building their billion-dollar stadium. And uh, it was it was getting close to game time. So 
she just went to the hotel with luggage, and then I just went to the field with my baseball bag wearing full suit. And it was, um, oh, I forgot what it was, like Memorial Day. That's what it was. It was Memorial Day weekend. And uh, so, okay. yeah, I made my debut, and I got to the game probably about an hour before it started and uh, made my debut in like the fifth or sixth inning in front of 40,000 people. So sweating bullets in my suit, but I look good. <laughs> And you pitched an inning and you recorded a strikeout. What was that feeling like? You know, you said you you changed positions in the minors and you were an all-star for Mm -hmm. two different minor league teams, but it's a whole different animal when you're, like you said, you're standing out there in front of 40,000 people. What was it like after recording that first, your first major league strikeout? Yeah, it didn't really dawn on me. Um, One of the things I, my goal going in was just to look like I'd been there before. You know, I'm not really a flashy guy, uh, despite what social media may say. <laughs> uh, but on the, on the field, you know, it's all business. And, you know, there's a certain way I was raised and how I conduct myself. And my goal was, you know, I just want to look like I've done it before. And so, you know, you sure. see a guy strike somebody out and it's May. You know, they're not going to fist pump or do anything. So I, I struck a guy out and didn't think much of it other, other than, hey, I got two outs, I think, so let's try to get another one. And I got another out, and I went and sat in the dugout, and they told me I was done. And after the next pitcher came in, I went in the clubhouse, and that was kind of it. I was, it wasn't very, you know, dramatic in any way. It was it, 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 a big deal to me. Uh, but the bigger deal came later. We were going back to the team hotel, my wife and I, and um, I saw Jason Kendall, who was my catcher. And he, I don't know, this is probably year 14 of his in the big leagues, <laughs> 14 or 15. Yep. And uh, yep. he he, uh, he yells at me uh, kind of across the way, and he he's at the hotel restaurant bar area. And we went in there, and I sat down, and he wanted to buy me a beer. And he and we just started talking. And he goes, man, I just want to let you know that when you came in, came into the game today, he's like, I didn't know what to expect. You know, I've only caught you a couple times in spring. Um, but, man, you just look like you'd done it before. You look like you'd been out there before. Had no idea that was your debut. So I was like, man, that's – the best compliment you can get from a seasoned catcher um, to tell you that, Hey, you did, you executed exactly what you wanted to do. Absolutely. Yeah. That, and, and, you know, to get that from Jason Kendall, who was one of the premier catchers for, you know, a 13, 14, 15 year period, um, that had to be pretty. So Mm -hmm. 2010, uh, we fast forward a little bit, 2010, you were, you were DFA'd by the Brewers to make room for Marco Estrada. You cleared waivers and you were assigned to Nashville in February of 2010. Um, You played that entire season, but you made a change in your mechanics. Can you talk about what brought that change on and then, and then what, what the results were after that? Yeah, they they took me off the roster, and uh, I got to spring training. You know, not not like I had anything to prove, but I just wanted to show that hey, I, I can still pitch. And the way this stuff works, you know, it doesn't take it. You know, if you're doing good, if you're the hot hand, they'll find a spot. You know, they'll they'll make room for you uh, if, if if you're doing your job. So that was all I wanted to do is let them know that I was still here and came to spring training and. Uh, they uh, they made me throw last during uh, the first bullpen session, and I didn't know what was going on. And sure enough, here comes you know the general manager, assistant general manager, the manager of the team, pitching coach, coordinators, other coaches, kind of gathering around me. And I was like, I didn't know what was going to happen. And they were like, Hey, listen, we took you off the roster, and 29 teams didn't want you. So I was like, Oh, that hurts. <laughs> but they're like, I think it's time for you to be reborn. They're like, and I thought they were about to say knuckleball, but they didn't say knuckleball. They said, 
how, uh, how would you feel about trying to throw sidearm? And so I thought, oh, that's better than the knuckleball, so sure. So I gave it a try, and um, it, it, was a, it was a trial and error process for me uh, all through spring training and then kind of got, got my foundation going a little bit uh, after spring training, like right towards the end. I started to figure some things out. And then 2010 spent there uh, entirely in AAA just trying things to see if it would work and failed a lot. I succeeded some. And then the last month of the year, we uh, Brandon Kinsler was coming off the disabled list, and they had to do something with me and another guy. Uh, one of us was going to get released or, you know, put on the DL or something. And they called sure. me in the office. We were in Reno, and they said, this is the turning point for me. I thought I was going to get released. It was 2010. My numbers were just average. You know, I hadn't shown too many signs of conquering this whole sidearm thing. They called me in the office, and, you know, they were probably only silent for five seconds, but it felt like an hour. And so they finally just were like, hey, listen, you're not getting released. We need to ask you, uh, would you consider starting the rest of the year? We only have about a month left. Uh, it may only be four or five starts, but, you know, what would you think? And I was like, let's see, go home and not play again or <laughs> be a sidearm <laughs> starter. I was like, sure, why not? And um, pretty I actually did really good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and what I found later as I was kind of reflecting on that last month of sidearm um, starting is I had more time to make, make adjustments. So, like, if you come into an inning and you – you know, the first guy you pitch to gets a hit, next guy gets out, next guy gets a double play, and you threw eight pitches, you really didn't have a chance to work on anything. You did good, but you didn't have a chance to work on anything. So, And every time I ran into trouble, you know, I would get taken out because they wanted to win the game. So I haven't had a chance to work on anything. So starting actually was the best thing for my career moving forward. I, I, if it wasn't for that month, I wouldn't have figured out sidearm to that degree. So the last month of 2010 – I, uh, I did pretty good. I was throwing like seven innings or eight innings a couple times. Um, I don't know. I was doing really well, giving up only a couple of runs, started striking people out, started figuring things out. And uh, I don't know. After that, the Brewers ended up signing me back for the next year because they saw the promise. So, and then 2012, or you were recalled by the Brewers in May of 2011. Um, but yep. I want to talk about something – something kind of interesting that happened and I'll let you tell the story behind it. So on May 20th, 2012, you guys are facing the twins at target field and yep. you got ejected from that game. Why did you get ejected and yeah. what happened? Yeah. So I come into the game. I didn't know the. I, I, at the time I didn't really know the score because I was only a guy that would pitch, you know, if it, the game was out of hand one way or the other. And uh, anyway, I, there was, I think it was uh, Jamie Carroll was hitting a righty yep. and I threw a couple of balls inside, didn't hit him. And the umpire ran me out of the game and I'd never been thrown out before or anything like that. So I was kind of in shock at that moment. And I asked the umpire, I was like, dude, were there warnings out? What is going on? And he just kept saying, get off field, get off field, get off field. You know? And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on right now. Like I was pretty flustered <laughs> and uh, come to find out later that they, the twins had hit like three of our guys, but, when you're sitting in the bullpen at, uh, you know, in left center, we were actually at home. We were at Miller park. We weren't in, we weren't at target oh, okay. field. And um, anyway, they, they were like, yeah, they hit three of our guys. And, you know, I guess they were talking to each other. You know, Luke Roy was catching, I think. And he was talking to other guys as they were getting in the box. There was a lot of chirping going on in the base paths. But again, 
how, you know, and you're in the bullpen. How do you know any of this stuff? So right. the way they handled the way they handled disciplinary stuff like this, because I appealed. I was like, you can't just throw somebody out of a game, you know, for good. They told me I should appeal. I didn't really care either way, but they were like, yeah, you should totally appeal. I was like, all right, cool. I don't, I mean, whatever. I just want it to be over with and everyone forget. But anyway, <laughs> it's still hot. <laughs> and uh, so the way they decided to do it was over the phone and they put Joe Torrey in charge of, uh, you know, doing these disciplinary things. So that happened, like you said, I think it was in May or somewhere around yeah. May, maybe. And then we didn't yeah. get on the phone and talk about it until like October. So it's October <laughs> and I finished the season in double A and Joe Torrey's like, Hey, I'm watching the film. I got an umpire rep, got a player rep, got MLB rep. We're all in here. We're watching this. We're reading these reports. They're telling me all this stuff that was going on, you know, at home plate throughout the game, everything that was going on on the base paths. I'm like, this has nothing to do with me. I'm not even there. I run into a game and I told him, I said, I'm a guy that has to make every time count because I don't get a lot of big league time. And every time I'm out there, I have to get out. There's, there's nothing else. I'm not a contract guy. If I had signed a four year deal, I was like, you want me to go head hunting or something? I'm like, I'd probably be more inclined, but I was like, if I'm a guy that they, they wouldn't want me to do that. They want me to get back on track and do well. You know, that's why they put me in that situation and they were trying to get me, you know, going again. And, and they were like, well, yeah, but these two pitches are kind of, you know, they're off the plate. And I was like, well, I'm going to be honest with you. None of you guys probably throw sidearm, but it's kind of hard. So the year before that, in 2010, to go along with some of my other astute records, I broke the uh, (laughs) uh, record for most hit batters in a season for the PCL, for the Pacific Coast League, AAA. And it's only been around for like 80 years. So I broke a pretty prestigious record. And I told him, I was like, it's not an easy thing. And I just learned sidearm. I was like, you know, you can't fault me for that. And anyway, they're like, this is going to take some time. We're going to have to talk this over and analyze all the situation and blah, blah, blah. And they hung up. And then like 15 minutes later, a player rep called me and was like, yeah, you won your appeal. I was like, oh, okay. That was quick. <laughs> Cause it's going to be like a thousand dollars. I'm like, you know, a thousand dollars during the big leagues is different than a thousand dollars in October right. when you finished in double A. So yeah, I was like, I oh, need that absolutely. money. Absolutely. Well, we got a, we got about five minutes left for here. Let's really quickly wrap up. Okay. I want to talk about uh, I want to talk about some off the field or not kind of off the field after the game stuff. Um, you're pretty popular yeah. on Twitter with your with your teammate videos. You you do a lot of videos yeah. of two of my favorite shows, Parks and Rec and The Office. Can you talk about how those start, how you got teammates involved, and just kind of what their reactions been on social media? Yeah, yeah. I mean, every, you know, no, you're not allowed to turn a camera on in the in the clubhouse. You know, that's just once smartphones kind of came around. I was in the clubhouse before I had a cell phone. You know, I was playing before I had a cell phone. Before smartphones, guys. You know, there was a time when you couldn't bring it into the clubhouse. There were times when you couldn't look at it in the clubhouse. You know, that kind of stuff, unless it was an emergency. So now you got these smartphones. And, you know, if somebody starts taking a picture or something, everybody would be like, oh, you can't do that in here, you know. And so it was kind of a process, but I finally reached a point in, like, 2015. I was like – I got introduced to an app, the Dub Smash app, that helped put audio with video. So we would do an audio from a movie, and then we'd just film a little video that took 10 seconds. And um, Anyway, the, the brewers were okay with it because I wasn't making anybody look bad, and I wasn't kind of showing things behind the scenes that I shouldn't be showing. Um, and then now fast forward how many years later – I don't know. It's just kind of guys come from other teams and they go, Hey, what do I got to do to get in the video? <laughs> so it caught on quick, 
but I think the reason nobody else does it is because I had built a relationship with the Brewers where they were they were going to trust me in that way to trust that I, I'm going to let them look good, you know, make sure they look good, make sure the player looks good. But the great side effect sure. is before people get called up, people see these players in the minor leagues, you know, kind of being themselves, kind of, you know, showing off their talents in other ways so that when they get to the big leagues, they're easy to root for. You know, guys were getting to the big leagues and people were tweeting and going, I remember this guy from this video. You did such a great job. I love this guy. You know, that kind of stuff. So to me, there's no harm in that. Like nobody loses in that situation. So, um, yeah, as long as I got a, a jersey, as long as I got a jersey and somebody that doesn't mind me shooting those videos, I plan on doing it as long as I can. No, I I don't know if you've uh, I don't know if you've been a teammate of his, but if you have, I'd like you to share a story. What can you tell me about Brett Phillips' laugh? Yeah, I remember the first time I saw it in spring training. I I didn't know if it was fake, and I didn't know if I was supposed to get like a, you know, get an EMT or somebody to <laughs> check him out. Uh, it's totally real. It's totally intense, and it's it's just it's you can't look away. You can't look away. And, um, no, I've been a teammate of his a lot last couple of years, and he's a great dude. He's a great dude. He <laughs> he just, you know, I think baseball sometimes people don't don't really get to show their personality, especially in the minor leagues because you don't really you don't hear about it. And uh, right. I think he was a guy that was born for the big leagues. He's born to get his character out there, and I think big leagues are starting to embrace a lot of the. Hey, you know what? There's some talented people out there. There's some very creative people out there. We're you know, you don't have to stifle them and say, here's your jersey, go play your position and, you know, be quiet. I think, you know, you look at, look at players weekend in the big leagues, you know, guys got nicknames on the back of their shirts, um, more flair on the cleats, more, more flair, like with hair and tattoos and stuff like guys are really allowed to express themselves now. And, and uh, anyway, I just, I think it's great. He's, he's a pretty special dude. You know, you talk well really quickly. We got to wrap up, but that I want to talk about yep. something real quick that you touched on. That that's why for me it seems like the home run derby is kind of the most authentic part of the baseball season because you know you see a lot of guys you know with their hats on backwards, their dads are pitching to them, their yeah. families are taking cell phone videos. It just <laughs> seems authentic, and it seems it kind of seems weird that baseball would want to want to kind of hide that instead of let that come out and shine and, you know, let the players have their personalities and show them off. Cause I think we all agree that baseball needs more characters. They were trying to prevent that in any way. I think guys were just raised. They watched what they watched on TV and that's the way it was. This is how you conduct yourself. And, you know, I credit a lot to the, the you know, the Latin American community, a lot of different influences, you know, in the melting pot of baseball have come. And I think it just kind of opened up. And it's great because I think players play better when they can express themselves, when they feel relaxed, when they feel comfortable, how they wear their uniform. Uh, if you look back at the Brewers, this is a small example. You look back at the Brewers years ago, in the minor leagues, you had to wear your pants up. So I, I, I'm kind of still that way. I was institutionalized, so I wear my pants up still. But you had to. That was, you know, that was the law of the land. You had to do that. And when guys got to the big leagues, if you look back at people like Prince Fielder and maybe not Braun, maybe Braun the first year, so, uh, Corey Hart, J.J. Hardy, Ricky Weeks, like, as soon as these guys got to the big leagues, they put on giant long pants. <laughs> like, right. to almost go, good, I don't have to wear them up anymore, so I'm just going to wear them huge and long because and, that's going to make me more comfortable or whatever. But um, I think that's kind of that, – that used to I used to look at it as, like, the payoff. Like, that was the payoff. You get to the big leagues, you get to wear your pants down, you know. But I think teams are starting to realize, all right, 
let's take back a little bit of that traditionalism and let guys express themselves. And I, I think they've gotten a lot more in return. I think they've gotten a lot more with, you know, finding out people uh, what their personalities like, but I think they're getting better players. I think that's a great outstanding way to end, to wrap things up. Ladies and gentlemen, this has been minor leader yeah. and former major leader, Tim Dillard. Tim, I cannot thank you enough for coming on the podcast, especially a day, the day no, before awesome. Thanksgiving. Thank you for sharing a bunch of stories. Yeah, yeah go ahead. The kids, the kids go down for nap. You know, this is this is perfect time for me. Thank you. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And if you guys want to follow him, he is on. He is at Dim D I M Tillard on Twitter. So it's just his initials and the and they are switched. So Dim Tillard on Twitter and also. You can see lots of his videos on Twitter as well. And if you haven't seen it, I do recommend go on YouTube and Google Brett Phillips laugh. There's videos of him <laughs> on intentional talk. There's videos of him with uh, Brewer, former Brewers reliever Will Smith telling him some jokes, all that kind of stuff. He's a great dude. He plays for the Loyals now, and uh, it, it's it's a pretty it's a pretty cool thing. Brett, thank, uh, Tim, thank you so much, and happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Devlin. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Yep. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was minor leaguer and former major leaguer Tim Dillard. What a great guy. You can tell he just he has a really good sense of the game. He has He just loves the game, and you can tell he loves to have fun. And if you guys like The Office, if you like Parks and Rec and that kind of humor, go check him out on Twitter. He is absolutely hilarious, some of the videos he's done. His name is Tim Dillard. It's T-I-M-D-I-L-L-A-R-D, but on Twitter he is D-I-M-T-I-L-L-A-R-D, Dim Tillard. So, Ladies and gentlemen, I will be back next week with a few episodes. Um, Like I said, we're going to have a beat writer from Pittsburgh on. We're going to be talking some Negro Leagues, and I'm working on getting an author of uh, Babe Ruth's book, Jane Levy, on. We'll see if we can make that happen. Ladies and gentlemen, happy Thanksgiving, happy Rusev Day, and thank you guys so much for listening to the podcast. I really love all of you. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.